Look, hiring is tough, right? It's very competitive right now. You got to move fast. You want to get to the best people and you don't want to waste a lot of time. But a place where growing businesses can go to connect with the most qualified candidates is ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton and you'll see for yourself. You can use a free trial there. It'll connect you to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. They have a powerful matching technology that will make sure that the thousands of resumes that you get access to will be scanned through so you'll get exactly the right people with the right experience for your job search. Folks, we used ZipRecruiter here to hire people for thehill.com, and we've gotten great hires. These are now my colleagues and friends, and they came courtesy of ZipRecruiter. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. Try for yourself. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, totally free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. That's ZipRecruiter.com. Dot com slash Sexton for this exclusive offer. ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton, the smartest way to hire. You are entering the Freedom Hut. A lot of fake news out there about how the Trump Tower meeting was so illegal. Turns out that's a bunch of garbage and we will take them to task. For peddling today. Also, it looks like finally we will be able to get a sense of what's going to happen in Ohio's 12th. We have Selena Zito joining us from the ground in Ohio to talk about that election, that special election, and much more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me, as always. Thank you so much for joining. Coming to you live from the swamp. From what I understand, much of the country feels like a swamp right now. It's very, very hot and sticky outside. All kinds of temperature records. We'll talk later on about how... Oh, my gosh, it must be climate change. We'll get into that. It's, it's not. It's not. It's, it's just hot. That's the thing that happens. We we will discuss. Uh, but but I think many of you picked up, and we've got a lot of things we've got to cover today on the show. We'll talk a bit more about gun violence in Chicago. Uh, we'll talk about the forest fires in California. We're going to have a, ver- a varied program covering a lot of ground, a lot of topics, as we always do. I think those of you who listened yesterday have a pretty good sense of the outright disdain that I have for the different news anchors, correspondents, reporters, pundits, Democrat officials, all the above that decided over the weekend. It's almost like they had some kind of a a memo that went out to the anti-Trumpers. Hey, let's make a big deal of the whole Russia meeting again. Let's pretend that... And and then let's start running anonymously sourced articles about how Trump is really nervous about his son. Oh, he's really nervous about it. My friends, this is the construction of a narrative for the purposes of score settling. They need an excuse to talk more about this meeting because the Trump Tower meeting is going to be the only... only bit of of data they have in the universe of collusion it's not collusion it's not illegal we'll get to all that but it's the only one that so they have to cling to it and they need an excuse to bring it up again and also to make it seem to uh, to placate their delusional 
Democrat audiences. They have to make it seem like Republicans and Trump are, are really worried about this. When in fact, Trump is personally, oh, I saw these reports. Trump is personally worried about the legal jeopardy his son is in. Now, I'm sure the president does have some concerns about the legal jeopardy that anyone around him is in because, no surprise, the Mueller probe is a sham. And this is turning into a glorified IRS audit of Democrat enemies, also known as Trump and his associates. That's what this is turning into. This should be a a scandal that all Americans uh, recoil at. This should be something that actually brings about quite a bit of, of fury from the American people, but instead they like it. At least those who hate Trump, at least the Democrats who have yet to accept that Trump lost I'm sorry, <laughs> Hillary lost the election to Trump. Uh, they refused to accept that. And now they're they're running around here with these stories, like I said, trying to create a perception of duress so that then they can report on that duress as a means of just highlighting a story that they want to tell again. You know, they're looking for an excuse to bring this up once more and so they have and it it didn't it did feel like it came out of nowhere then all of a sudden we're talking about this trump tower meeting which is a big bag of absolutely nothing uh but they trump tower meeting what is it good for absolutely nothing um you know what i mean and then you get some analysis that finally uh addresses this a little bit we've got jonathan turley writing in the hill where i work So, yay, a very excellent piece in the Hill. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then over at CNN, at Clinton News Network Central, where they're still holding out hope that that the hashtag resistance will be restored to glory with the elevation of, hello, to be the next president of the United States. Hillary has missed you so much. It's true. She has missed you. She wants to be your president so, so badly. But there's, there's some real legal analysis to be done here. And a legal analyst, in this case named Ross Garber, says of the Trump Tower meeting, uh, the following. Play clip 12, please. I think there's actually a fairly good argument that it's not illegal, that information would not be considered by the courts to be a thing of value, largely because of the First Amendment. Once you start saying that, uh, that us talking to each other constitutes a thing of value, it winds up being a slippery slope. And then the other thing the president points out, actually fairly, is that if information is a thing of value, well, then what about the information that came from Russian nationals? to the Clinton campaign and the DNC through steel. And that and that's a fair point uh, also. Well, let me get to that in a moment. Wolf let me get to that in a moment. Who did that legal analyst sound call like, by the way? That was from today. That argument, you're, you're, you've, you've heard that. I feel like I've heard those points made somewhere before. Who does he sound like? I'm not pretending that that was uh, some stroke of genius on my part. I'm sure all of you were thinking... The same thing, right? This is this is complete nonsense. You don't have to have a law degree. Well, one of the problems we have in American society today is we have a we have people led to believe that the press have special First Amendment rights, which they do not. And we'll get more into that coming up and the fight over true freedom of expression. That's going to be a theme on today's show. And also that you should have to have a law degree to understand the law. 
I will tell you, and, and I'm not being immodest, I have smoked plenty of lawyers on points of law that matter to me and to you because I can read and I can think. In fact, it was for a long time the case that you could pass or you could become a lawyer by passing the bar exam without ever going to law school. Then they, law schools wanted to be a credentialing program. Um, now, would I, would I be able to stand up in a, in a debate with somebody on the, on the rules of evidence and procedure? Do I know? No, of course not, right? There, there are some professional uh, aspects of, of law that you need from a process standpoint, but to argue the fundamental principles, think about this. I'm subject to criminal law, but it's so complicated that I can't understand what the law is? No. I'm sorry. I, I reject that notion, and you should too. Just like the Constitution wasn't written so that lawyers could sit around and argue with each other about what the words mean, it was written so that we could all read it and know it and be bound by it. Yeah, that's right. There's something here, right? There's something going on. Part of the uh, part of the revolt against elitism that Trump has been spearheading is also a revolt against the notion that the press knows better than you, that they are smarter than you, that they have special rights that you do not have. And also, I'm, I'm going to add to this that, that the legal eagles know all this stuff that you don't when it comes to whether the president has broken the law, whether you have broken the law, what the laws are. Uh-uh. If criminal law is so complicated that you need three years and, and some time in a courtroom to understand it, then the criminal law should not be something that we are bound by because it is too complicated. Uh, and and I, I reject that notion. But... This wasn't a hard one, folks. The Trump Tower meeting. Oh, my gosh, the Trump Tower meeting. This isn't difficult. Under the left-wing analysis of that whole situation, it would have to be considered an illegal campaign contribution if, a, if let's say, the, uh, the prime minister of, or the, let's say, the, you know, the president, doesn't matter, the president of Russia shook hands with a, a U.S. Uh, presidential candidate and said, you know, let's really, let's really focus on positive relations going forward, and I think you should talk up, you know, some of the, the uh, economic improvements that, we've, that, 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 that could be made. That's advice, folks, from a foreign national, a very powerful one. That's a thing of value. This is idiocy. This is idiocy masquerading as seriousness about defending the republic. This is stupidity that holds itself up as glorious resistance. Glorious resistance against tyranny, no less. These people should be embarrassed, but they are not. They're, in fact, emboldened by their own stupidity on a regular basis. Because once you've said so many dumb things, and, and, and this is certainly true over at CNN, it's true in a lot of places these days, once you've said so many stupid things publicly, you might as well just continue to do so and live in the moment and press whatever talking points or whatever issue you can when you can in the hopes that nobody notices that you're the guy that said something that was completely preposterous last week. That's So, so point one is this, this idea of, of just information that someone gives to you is a thing of value. Uh, this, is, this is crazy talk. This is is crazy talk. Um, so that's that's point one. And then point two, Hillary's people paid for a national. So so they were paying for things of value from foreigners. 
And I think initially the justification they're trying to put out there is, well, well, it was disclosed, but it wasn't disclosed that they're getting information from foreigners. It was disclosed that they had con- uh, contracted with Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele. But as I was saying, you know, they could they could have a contract with Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele, and if he went and collected donations from Russian nationals, that would be that would be a violation. It doesn't matter that they declared Christopher Steele as so if it's. If it's illegal to get anything of value from a foreign national if you're an election. Remember, Chris, uh, Chris Berman, who's that anchor, who's kind of the whiny voice guy who's on CNN. Um, only slightly less boring than Jake Tapper on air. If Chris Berman is going to sit there and read out to us a thing of value, as he did yesterday, I played it for you on air. Well, let's really take this notion to task. What is... What is the Hillary Clinton role in all of this? How how is she? How are her hands clean? Of course, they're not. And this then brings us to a a, a fundamental, a central truth of this entire situation. Everything that we're seeing now with the Russia collusion and the Hillary emails and all this stuff that's going on this this just mass of insanity against the president of the United States, who's doing a good job. America's fine. America's actually doing really well. It's getting better. I mean, you know, man, people hate success on the left, don't they? Uh, but here, here's a, a central truth that I, I want to maybe reiterate here on the show, but certainly hammer at home. I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The same people that are all holier than thou about the Mueller probe and about Russia collusion and interference in the election and the sanctity of our democracy, and this was an assault on democracy, and love to throw that word around, really highfalutin, really high and mighty, about the assault on democracy. Uh, Those same people are willing to stretch the law to not just the breaking point, but, but to the laughing point. They're willing to just to, to make fools of themselves, to look like buffoons publicly, as long as they can try to push a temporary understanding of the law that will allow them to go after Trump. Those same people, but 18 months ago, were in the complete opposite direction, stretching the law beyond credulity into ridiculousness. To say that Hillary Clinton did not break the law, right? So, so we see this happening. We see the same press corps, the same fake news central doing this and can't help but think that these people have no principles. They are unserious. They cannot be believed. They cannot be listened to if we are going to have a country that is prosperous and free. They will do anything to morph the law into a weapon against Trump. They will rewrite the law in real time if it takes down Trump or one of his people or makes him look bad. They will rewrite the law for that purpose, and they will rewrite the law to keep Hillary Clinton, who clearly broke the law many times over, willfully, negligently, all of the above. Then um, they will rewrite the law to get her out of legal jeopardy. And this is because ultimately the left has no respect for law. It only has respect for power. And that's what you're seeing play out day in and day out. Speaking of uh, the law, Manafort's in some trouble with it. We had some uh, updates in the election today. I- I'm, I'm covering this story insofar as it is a, an extension. It is really a branch of the tree of Trump derangement syndrome in many ways. 
Uh, I do not find this to be as fascinating as a lot of liberals out there. They just want to marinate in, in Manafort's agony. They, they want to joyride around as much as they can in the wreckage of Paul Manafort's life, as though that's going to keep them safe and warm at night. I have some thoughts on that trial. And then a little bit more on the First Amendment and, and journos who really are working overtime to convince us how, how brave and important they are. I'll let you know a little secret. Most of them are neither brave nor important. And I'm in their universe, although I never claim to be, and I'm certainly not acting like one of them. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. The show is a-rockin', so team, come back and knockin' in just a moment. All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Uh, we are talking a bit about what happened in terms of the analysis on on the uh, Trump Tower meeting and all the garbage that people were saying about it, which was not accurate. No surprise there. So uh, let's get to some calls. We have Bill in Florida. What is up, my friend? Hey, how you doing, Buck? I'm good. Yeah, you sound good. Okay, you. you know, this this amendment thing and all this stuff, and Amendment 1 and all that, you know, the privacy rights and all this, you know, I would suggest to people, you know, if you want to find out what the federal government's doing with you, it's run a background check on your own self, you know? And if you do that, do it on paper, in other words, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, mail it in, and see what kind of response you get to it. But that's where we'll see who we are by the federal government. Of course, that don't mean they won't edit it or block some stuff out. But that's one way to find out who you are. You flip the coin on this thing. Now, this is not a problem with Trump. This has nothing to do with him. This is yeah, well, Bill, what does this have to do with, buddy? You're losing me a little bit here. What are you sending oh, okay. in a background? Of, what, up, <laughs> this is... what you brought up on Amendment 1 there. The you First know. Amendment, yes. Right. You know, but all these things pile in. If people have any question that the government's bothering them or anything else, you know, you touched on that just a little bit lightly on that one. But, hey, who are you? you hey, Bill, that's a good who question. Are? Who are any of us, really? What they think. You know, yeah. because all, these, all this stuff that's going wrong, you know, everybody's accusing everybody of everything else. You know, I hear you, Bill. It's a, it's a, the world's a crazy place, man. Thank you for calling in from Florida. Shields high. Mike, I mean, who are you really? You know? And who, who are any of us? Look, these are these are existential questions. These are important things to know. And I appreciate that Bill wants to uh wants to get some wants to get some answers. And and I I like the the notion of exploring these exploring these areas. Uh the Manafort Gates trial today, everyone was spending a lot of time talking about how Gates uh, had turned on his former mentor. He had been an intern for Manafort, which I did not know. And just you got to be careful with those interns, man. You know, they're around, they hear things, they know things, and interns have long memories. I have uh, lit up Dan Rather on Twitter a number of times, uh, and he 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 is he is aware of of some of my my uh, my tweeting. I I would be willing to wager. I bet he has no idea. I interned for him. And I was like the only intern he had. Doesn't remember me. Because I was a I was a non-person. I was an 18-year-old non-person at the time. Not anymore, Danny boy.
He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Oh my, so many stories out there about the trial of the month. (laughs) Not even the trial, not the trial of the year, the trial of the century, the trial of the month, where uh, Paul Manafort is facing a lengthy federal prison sentence because of tax evasion. This is a tax trial, folks. One that the media is reporting on eagerly because it involves a Trump associate and they view this as sullying Trump just by by association. That Trump had this guy working for him for a few months and, you know, fired him. And now he has a tax problem. It's supposed to be evidence of Trump being a terrible traitor to his country. And all the, all the terrible things they say about him must be true. Because he had a a guy working for him who had worked for other presidents, which I'll be honest, I didn't even really know that. He worked for other administrations in the past, and he, uh, he didn't pay his taxes. And today we find out that uh, it was, you know, Gates, his partner, Rick Gates, described how he avoided paying millions of dollars of taxes and that he committed crimes. This is not a very interesting story, folks. And you're like, Buck, why are you telling us that? I'm telling you because the media is overcome with anti-Trumpism such that it affects all of their editorial judgment. I mean, I'm not saying this is a, not a story, but it's not nearly as interesting as they're saying it is. And I'm talking about it in part because I don't want to be accused of, oh, you're not talking about the Manafort trial. Okay, the guy cheated on his taxes. So what? You didn't see much coverage of some of the former senior Obama White House lawyers uh, and Tony Podesta, brother of John Podesta, closest confidant to Hillary Clinton and her campaign chairman, and how that has been, they've been referred for foreign agent registration issues. Now, I'm willing to bet those issues will go away very quietly because you have two standards of justice, the Clinton standard and the Trump standard. The Clinton standard is, you're a Democrat, you're too important to the movement, you'll be fine. The Trump standard is, what can we get you on? How do we twist the law to get you? Oh, I, I mentioned the, uh, I didn't spend any time on it, but I mentioned before how uh, Jonathan Turley had written an analysis, and I, and I don't actually have it right in front of me. I was going to address it a little bit, but his analysis is very similar to my analysis, which is if you think that a, a thing of value includes somebody sitting down with a meeting wants to tell you stuff, then you're, you're expanding thing of value to being essentially all-encompassing and therefore meaningless. Uh, and also Hillary is is liable then for the things of value she got from Russian nationals who were the sources in the dossier. By the way, I really, really want to see what the redactions are in the uh, in the Carter uh, Carter Page FISA applications. I do not believe that it's about source protection. I do not believe that it's about sources and methods. I think it is. I think it is CYA for the FBI. And I've heard people who won't, you know, they 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 won't give me. Certainty, there's certainty on this one, but they have they they say they have reason to believe based on people they've talked to who know that it's really bad. Oh well, I spoke to Devin Nunes, uh, and and he told me that. So and and he's been briefed on all the uh, all the findings and all of the unredacted information in that, and he said it's it's as bad or worse. So that I'm hoping that Trump. Think about the think about the optics of this. I am really hoping that Trump, in advance of the midterms, declassifies it. 
Oh my gosh, that'd be sweet. We get to see what a, what a complete crock of nonsense this whole thing has been. And all the people who really abuse their power in, in disgraceful ways. You know, I, I would not be able to sleep at night if I had been a part of this uh, a part of this narrative that led to this prosecution and this prosecutorial overreach uh, with the with the Mueller probe. You know, if I had sent someone to prison or ruined their life as one of these Mueller guys, I'd feel very badly about myself because I wasn't I'm not I'm not protecting the public. I'm not protecting the justice system. I'm protecting the powerful and doing the dirty work of the Democrats and Hillary Clinton. That's what I'd be doing. That's how I'd feel about it. And and the the glee with which the uh, media reports on Manafort's possible what will effectively for him be close to a life sentence, if not a life sentence, it should be very unsettling for all of us. You know, they, they like to play this game, and I've got to talk to you about this this piece coming up here that was published in CNN about how, you know, well, I'll get to it, about how brave, how brave journalists are. Oh, yes, they're so brave. It's such a brave profession. I, I sit here, folks, and I just want to tell you about how these Washington Post editors that go back and forth to lunch meetings in the White House, and oh, my gosh, it's amazing what they put up with. Uh, you know, the, the, the media is not only not, nearly as brave and important as they think they are, uh, they also can be very destructive. Now, they they get criminal investigations started of people for partisan purposes. They ruin people's lives. I mean, the, the prosecution, for example, of, of Scooter Libby was only really possible because the media was part of this echo chamber effect that, one, he had outed somebody, which he did not do, and two, that there were some terrible injustice against the person who had been outed by somebody else which was also a lie oh my gosh it's all you know and i always love when i get i get journalists to try to lecture me on that one i'm like really that's cool i was in the cia at the time do you want do you want to tell me more about what really happened there thanks journo Ooh, you had lunch once with somebody who like worked at the cia and they told you some things about something that's great i showed up there every single day and had full access to the whole building so i think i you know Slow your roll, journos. Oh, oy. you can tell they, they get me. They get me agitated. They really do. I think I'm kind of excited here. We got one of my old school OSS buddies that I have not heard from in quite a while. He was with me in the blaze days. I'm assuming that this is the Bart from South Carolina who is on the line right now. Is Am I correct in this one? I'll know as soon as he says a word. Bart from South Carolina, everybody. Going once. You are correct. Hey, it is. It's our man Bart. How you doing, buddy? It's been a while. <laughs> doing, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I've been listening to your podcast. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I'm calling you about something you said on the radio yesterday. Uh, you were talking, you were playing a little clip uh, about people being harassed in a restaurant. I don't remember who they were. Yeah, Charlie Kirk and um, Candace Owen. I actually talked to, uh, I'm talking to Charlie tomorrow on Hill.TV about it, but go ahead. Well, uh, some of those chants that were being uh, yelled at those people, if you recall, one of them was something, something bourgeoisie, go home bourgeoisie or whatever it was. Yeah, it was, they, but, they, they borrow Marxist sloganeering for their own their own purposes, uh, these Antifa idiots. Go ahead. Well, they don't just borrow them, Buck. I mean, who uses that kind of uh, terminology in America? Um, 
bourgeoisie, the term bourgeoisie has never really been in use here. So this is an import. That terminology is imported from another country. This, this whole um, progressive socialist movement that's threatening our country right now has been imported uh, from abroad. And um, if you think about it, one out of every seven, I think it is, citizens of the United States right now, myself included, by the way, but one out of every seven was born outside its borders and is an immigrant. So if most and the most of the world is actually socialist, the, the economy of most of the world is socialist to some extent. Um, so we're really importing socialists. And now they comprise anywhere, you know, eighth, seventh of our population. So importing people from another, you know, letting, leaving the, uh, the wall unbuilt, importing all these millions of people via lottery and so forth, this is, uh, this is a long-term plan to change this country, not just the, the ethnic or demographic character of this country, but the Yeah, but the political character, which is what the Democrats yeah. are actually most interested in, and, and it will be unalterably changed if the, the rate of immigration uh, continues on and, and with illegal immigration on top of it, it, it will be, uh, be permanently changed. Uh, and folks, you're hearing Bart is himself an immigrant to the country. So Bart, Bart knows what's up. Yeah, I am, a, I am a immigrant from a communist country, but of course I escaped communism. And if we all had only continued the policy that Reagan began of allowing non-communists, anti-communists to come to this country as refugees, then we wouldn't have this problem we have now because, you know, the immigrants you speak to, the immigrants that are contributing to the communities would be staunch anti-communists who remember what communism was like, you know, back in the 80s where most of us were born and stuff. What so, was, I mean, what, what are your memories, Bart, if I can ask you, and, and you're, you're Polish, right? So what are your memories of, of what it was like under communism? Just, just give folks a, a, a vignette. Uh, well, I was a kid, you know, Buck. So no, I know, but I, I mean, you know, remember, did do you remember? remember did you have a, to like? A, yeah, I do remember a strong police presence. <clears throat> I do remember uh, poverty, um, uh, not kind, not kind of like a ghetto-like poverty, but poverty nevertheless. Long lines for basic, uh, basic items like toilet paper and bread. Um, did you wait? So you waited in some of those lines as a kid. Yeah, well, yeah, because you're only allowed uh, one per family. So what you did was you sent one member of the family to stand in one line and another member of the family to stand in another line and hope they don't notice. And so that way you get two sticks of butter instead of one. Um, you know, yeah. things like that. That wasn't really the, the worst part. The worst part was going to the dentist without any kind of inoculation or, I mean, uh, 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 anesthesia, kind of, uh, pain medicine. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, and just having it drilled live. That's socialist medicine for you. Um, oh my gosh! Oh yeah, I'm. I'm. You sold. You sold me there, my friend. No, no socialism for me. Bart from South Carolina, my old friend. Good to have you on. Thanks for. Thanks for calling in. I haven't talked to him in a while. Oh gosh, man, producer Mike. Even, even like, fancy American dentists. I, I, I don't know. It's no fun. The notion of the the notion of a communist dental clinic is one of the scariest things I've thought about in a long time. Uh, all right, team. I do want to talk to you about this First Amendment stuff and the journalists posing as as some kind of victims and all this other nonsense that's going on here. Plus, uh, fun to get some of your calls. I see a lot of lines lit up, so we'll get some of your calls in if we can. Eight four four nine hundred buck, and uh, we have much, much more coming your way, team. So uh, stay with me. 
In the First Amendment of the Constitution, there are five freedoms listed that are protected under the First Amendment. I've got $20 right here if you can name all five. Yo, I have no idea. But can you name the five freedoms protected under the First Amendment? No, I definitely can't. I don't know. Nah, no, I, don't I can't. Know. You got any? Any? Right to bear arms? Is that, is that a different amendment? I think that's a different amendment. That's the Second Amendment. The right to a jury by your peers? No. I don't think that it's fair for people to use the First Amendment as kind of like, you know, an excuse to say whatever they want that's very hurtful and malicious to others. So I Isn't think the Constitution the excuse, though? It really is. Now that you think, like, now that I'm saying it out loud. It involves what we're doing right now. All of us assembled like oh. freedom of assembly oh freedom of assembly oh like to do like protests and stuff yeah. like okay, totally cool. yeah like i like it's like like protest like i know what that is like oh my gosh matt out talked about it on msnbc and it was amazing folks that was from uh, campus reform and they're asking kids young adults perhaps we should say at columbia university an ivy league school no less to name one of the first five amendments of the Constitution? To name, what is the first amendment of the Constitution? What's it about? What is the first amendment? Like, I think it's like when, like, you're saying things and, like, you can't say, like, the really mean things, but you want to say other things and, like, that's okay, but not the mean things. That's the first amendment. Like, totally. I would like some avocado toast now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the future... <laughs> The future of this country is uncertain, my friends. How <laughs> much I can say to you. Um, I, I, I can promise that I, I would have been able to when I was in college. And I'm sure all of you feel the same way. Somebody asked me what the First Amendment was. I would have had an answer for them, and it would not have been dumb. It wouldn't have been perfect, maybe, but it would not have been dumb. Uh, I think this just goes to show you that you can get through the uh, social sciences. I actually spoke to uh, an author earlier today who, who's got he's written a whole piece on how the social sciences are neither scientific nor particularly social, which is definitely true. I've been saying for a long time, social sciences are garbage uh, as a as as science, at least. Right. You can you should learn it as as theory, as argument, as history. But it's not it's not, it's not scientific. Uh, and that's that's my feeling on these things. But they're not teaching kids the First Amendment properly in in form and substance in any way. They really believe that, you know, I see this all the time on Twitter. The First Amendment doesn't protect hate speech. People who are supposedly intelligent and know what's going on. Wrong. The First Amendment does protect hate speech. It does protect hate speech. And I know that there are different times when people try to pretend that it doesn't, but it absolutely has to protect hate speech or else it doesn't protect anything. Consensus does not need defenders. Dissent needs defenders. How can kids not be told this today? How can elite college students not know this? This is central. This is what is different about our country from so many others. There is no real freedom of speech in Europe. There is no real freedom of speech even in the UK. And you could say, well, Buck, there's not even real freedom of speech here. There's some merit to that argument, but at least we're, we hold ourselves to it. We're supposed to hold ourselves to a different standard. We are supposed to believe that even the worst of the worst ideas are allowed to be shared in the public square. And that's also why I think that this deplatforming movement is this is just silencing. This is censorship. They call it deplatforming because it sounds cool. Patrick in Wabash, Indiana. Hey, Patrick. 
Yes, I was uh, wanting to uh, speak about uh, the elections, midterm elections, especially in California, where the Republicans haven't had too uh, much success. But with this year, this year's fires, they should uh, bring uh, as one of their arrows of, in their quiver of campaign issues uh, that um, it's the Democrats' fault that um, the fires are so bad and the Democrats have blood on their hands because the people have been killed by the fires so far. And um, I think that might make some uh, headway, especially when I heard uh, Governor Moonbeam say that, uh, you know, this is the way it is. There's going to be more of it. It's kind of like Obama saying the jobs aren't coming back. Well, let me let me say that later on. And thank you for calling in, Patrick, from Indiana. Uh, I am going to address the forest fires in some detail uh, because I, I think that there's a lot of look. I think there's a lot of fake news around a lot of a lot of false reporting about the underlying cause here and what's really going on with California's management of these fires. Uh, something I've been I've been researching a bit on my own. We'll get into that. But next, the uh, the liberal media as the guardians of our democracy. We're going to take that notion to task coming up background checks have to happen in your business they have to happen if you're going to rent out your property and you need them to be quick so to all the business owners out there in team buckland i just want to say please check out global verification network for your hiring needs no matter how big your business small or incredibly large multinational global verification can do your background checks in a timely and efficient manner all based here in the states and Global is a dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. So support small business, support a veteran-owned and operated business, one that has risk mitigation experts who are all stateside and who do the best work and care about each client and each case, all right? Check them out for yourself. Uh, go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. 877-695-1179. Global Verification Network. Leave no stone unturned. Eliminating information with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Who gets banned, folks? Who gets banned and why? Yesterday, I was able to tell you about the incredible new development, uh, incredibly troubling development of social media platforms that are outright banning people based on the content of their speech and how they're applying their terms of service, which is their their rules of the road. But remember, the rules for which those platforms are so-called judge, jury, and executioner, right? They get to make all the determinations. You you can go back to them and say, hey, I don't like what... You, and it doesn't matter. Nothing you uh, can really do about that. And you would think that journalists might rally to the defense of the First Amendment because in recent weeks, we've had them saying, oh my gosh, the First Amendment, it's under siege because of Trump. Yeah, Jim Acosta crying crocodile tears. So, so sad, Jim Acosta, because... Trump pushes back on, remember, these are reporters who are actively trying to destroy his administration. These are reporters that want to see Trump in prison. This is not normal political discourse that they are pushing. 
They are part of a conspiracy. That's right. The press, the mainstream press, is part of a conspiracy to undermine the presidency. And they've been part of it from the beginning, with the whole Russia collusion delusion. They were the ones that were pushing around the dossier, and they were involved. I mean, this whole thing stinks. And then they want to play the hurt feelings game. Oh, it's so mean. Trump's so mean to us. We just want to be the guardians of America, and we're just here to protect all of our greatest institutions. You know, really, I, I can't stand these whiny libs. They, they act like they're all in an Aaron Sorkin scene, you know, standing in front of a waving American flag like, Mr. President, I'm just the last one who believes in this country. You know, it's please give us a break. Really? The sanctimony from these clowns is astonishing. I really don't need to hear it. Don't need to see it. But, you know, sure enough, um, you had an article published in CNN recently uh, where you had... And look, it was from a, uh, I think it was from a journalism professor. This is getting a lot of play today. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, uh, here we go. It's an opinion, it's an opinion piece, so it's not a straight news piece, but uh, you know, that, uh, that, that's to be expected here. Yes, an ethics professor at the University of Notre Dame, by the way, some of you know what I'm talking about. These, these Catholic institutions, whether Notre Dame or Georgetown, they've also been overrun with social justice libs. You've got these Catholics. I, I had a, I will tell you, I don't know uh, when we're going to air it, but there was an interview. I had an interview with some, with some guy who's an author, and uh, this was for the TV show. And he started, he was claiming to be, you know, he's speaking for evangelicals and telling me how evangelicals uh, should support Democrats like Hillary because they're the ones who are really pro-life. And I was sitting there and I'm saying, well, I'm sorry, what? You see, now you're going to redefine the issue just to, to make, I mean, that, that's, a, that's just a propaganda tactic, right? Well, I'm the one who's really pro-life because evangelicals care about climate change. So that's being pro-life. Evangelicals care about universal health care and single payer. So that's pro-life. Like, no, Hillary believes in abortion all nine months of her pregnancy for any reason or no reason. That, that's the issue we're talking about here. Trump is putting in place constitutionalist conservative Supreme Court judges uh, and also is pushing for policies that are contra that agenda of infanticide under the guise of of women's right. Anyway, I, I just I I I got very uh, very agitated with this fellow. I don't I don't know if that interview will ever. I don't know when it's going to air. Or at some point, I'll let you know. Well, we just haven't had a, a need for it yet. Sometimes we do pre tapes with authors and put them in another time. Uh, but but I, I just can't help but notice that there there are these there are some of these Christians that will get pushed out in front of all of the rest of, of the American people and, and they're speaking for a constitu they're supposed to be speaking for a constituency of Christianity and, and I'm sorry, if you know, if you are a Catholic and you're okay with Pelosi and Clinton and all the rest and what they're pushing you're 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 Catholic in name only. You're a Sino, I guess you'd call it. C I N O. Uh, and I, I got very, I get very aggravated. And I'm not an evangelical, but this evangelical guy saying, "Yeah, you know, Trump, is, Trump is terrible because he's had affairs. Vote for Hillary." I'm like Hillary, who aided and abetted her husband's affairs. Really, you're gonna—that's the answer. I mean, it's, it's just disgusting. And I don't like what goes on at these. I know this is kind of a, a, a sidetrack. I'm sorry, but I don't like what's going on at a lot of these Catholic institutions, uh, like Georgetown and, and Notre Dame. 
where they're teaching kind of social justice Christianity. Uh, you know, Jesus was not a socialist, folks. You know, you're seeing this these days. I also love this. The same people say, Jesus said, give to the poor. It's like, yeah, what did Jesus say about marriage, by the way? <gasps> How dare you? Look at your theocracy. Oh, okay. But that's a classic. Liberals who point to the Bible always end up having to swallow their words or just, just embrace utter hypocrisy. But it happens all the time. It happens all the time. You know, it's useful for them in the moment. They're like, look, Jesus says, be good to the poor. And, you know, and the eye of a, of a needle and a camel and oh, well, there's some other stuff. You know, one of the only times you'll see mainstream members of, of the press more uncomfortable in talking about a subject uh, than, than firearms is when they talk about the Bible. That's another one, yeah. The mainstream journalists, they talk about guns. They're like, yeah, the thing that you pull and that makes the bang noise and scary and the gun that goes bang, bang, the automatic machine pistol chainsaw bayonet, bang, it goes. Uh, and then they talk about the Bible and they're also, yeah, you know, Jesus and the golden rule and stuff. They don't have a lot on that usually. Uh, but that's, I, the, sorry, I got into this whole rant because this guy's a professor at the University of Notre Dame. And, and he's taking this line of, we need the press to defend us. Quote, it is a sad day for democracy when the leader of the free world repeatedly calls the press the enemy of the people and his chief spokeswoman can't bring herself to say that isn't so. Yet that is what happened. This guy goes on. Let me tell you my favorite, my favorite part of this because it's the worst part of this. So I guess my favorite worst part of this whole debacle of a piece is, quote, we thank soldiers. This is what this guy wrote. We thank soldiers for their service because they devote themselves to protecting our freedoms, and we should. But we should also thank the media for the same reason, especially when the stakes have never been higher. That's laughable, folks. That's laughable. Most people in the media are just uh, actors who are too ugly to make it in Hollywood. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. Other people won't tell you. I'll tell you. If, if they could be Clooney, they'd be Clooney. But instead, they're like an anchor at, you know, CNN. But the job description is basically the same. Look the part, sound the part, you know. That's it. That's it. They're, they're not the defenders of, of democracy. We have more people with more access to communications and information than at any point in human history by far. We have a lesser need for a political monoculture running the newsrooms of all these major media organizations than ever before. And now we're at least aware of what's really going on. And their whole thing about, oh, how we're not the enemy of the people. It's like, well, Trump says the fake news is the enemy of the people. If you look at press around the world, there are plenty of times when when the, 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 the press in different countries is part of a regime crackdown, when the press will be uh, going along with authoritarianism or totalitarianism. This is like saying, I mean, I, I really want you to take this away from our conversation right now, my friends. This would be like saying that, that, that the voters are the the voters are the ones that guarantee America's future and, and, and guarantee our democracy. You know, it's all about voting. Well, you can vote. I'm not going to go add Hitler. I'm here. Right. But I know, you know, we can say you can vote a totalitarian into office. You can vote away. Technically, you could vote away the Constitution if you really wanted to. I mean, you'd have to get a enough people in elected office and they'd have to go through the process. But, you know, you, you could you could vote away anything. Voting in and of itself doesn't defend squat. Voting is a process. Can be used for good or for evil. You could even say voting is a tool, a tool of a political organization, a tool of a polity. And it's, it's a good one, very useful one. 
but it, we can't prejudge the outcome of, of just a vote. You, know, you can vote for all kinds of stuff. You know, vote for who are we gonna who's gonna be our first human sacrifice? Everybody, you know, let's do a show of hands, right? That's not a good vote. That doesn't mean things are good just because they're voting. Same thing with the press. We're supposed to think that the guardians of our democracy think of how much damage has been done to this presidency by fake news. Think of how much time has been wasted, how many really good people in the government have had their lives turned upside down. People in the White House, people at the upper reaches of different agencies have had their lives turned upside down. have had to think of whether they could afford personal lawyers because of this political vendetta by a bunch of lib crybabies. That's damaging to the country. They're not, they're not the guardians of democracy in some meaningful way. They're not helping us all out by doing that. They are hurting the country. So it, it, it is idiotic to take this position of just all press is good. Is Alex Jones press, folks? Because they're willing to say that he should not even be allowed to say anything. He thinks, if you take him at his word, that he's a guardian of democracy. Oh, you mean there's 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 more to it than there's more to it than just being media, which really just means that you have opinions and are communicating them in written, uh, spoken or or video form, right? That's all it means. That the this see, but we're we're hacking away at at a big lie here, and the lie is that just the press is what defends us. No, 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 our ability to be free of government restriction on our speech. Which I would note, the mainstream press is is cheerleading for all the time. Oh, you know, limit, you know, campaign finance and limits on this and limits on that and hate speech and you got to bake that cake, bake that cake. They don't believe in the First Amendment. These people aren't defending the First Amendment as a principle. They're defending their privileged positions using the First Amendment as a piece of propaganda. Not helping us. If they could, they would silence talk radio. They've tried with the Fairness Doctrine. If they could, they would silence Fox News. They would deplatform conservatives across the board. And they would say and they would do so saying that they are protecting democracy. Bunch of sanctimonious jerks. So don't let them get away with this. Just being in the press doesn't mean you're some kind of hero. It certainly doesn't get anywhere near the same level of respect as wearing the uniform and agreeing to risk your life for your country because that's what that means whatever service you're in whatever uniform you're wearing if you're in the united states military you are agreeing to put your life on the line for your country and for our freedom if you're a member of the press you are very often a second or third tier intellect that couldn't get the job they initially wanted out of college and took some job somewhere writing glorified gossip columns and hoping to kiss up to enough executives to get the kind of job at a CNN or an MSNBC or New York Times that would overpay you. That's it. It's not hero stuff, okay? And all of them are replaceable. There are a million people waiting to take those jobs who would do just as well, if not better. We don't need them. They should be held to account. And now that there's a president who will hold them to account, what do they do? They retreat into this, oh my gosh, it's... There's going to be violence against us. Well, there hasn't been. And there shouldn't be. But notice the, notice the way that they turn victimization into an offensive tactic. Well, you know, no, I, I, I may be victimized at some point, so you can't keep saying the things you're saying. People like you and me sit around and say, well, hold on a second. We're the ones who are really under assault. We're the ones who are really under threat. 
I've got uh, on, on my show tomorrow, I've got Charlie Kirk joining me. He's the one who just had a mob, a flash mob of anti-fascist lunatics encircle him when he's trying to have breakfast in Philadelphia, throw water at him and scream and curse at him and have to have the police come and defend him and a young African-American female, Candace Owen, by the way, who happened to also be there with Charlie. And that always gets left out of this. You know, these people are yelling and screaming at this young woman, too. I mean, imagine if that was your daughter. And these punks are have her encircled. She's trying to have breakfast. We're supposed to be worried about how the how the press is? Oh, they've been mean to Jim Acosta. Please. Jim Acosta. Life's never been better for Jim Acosta. Life's never been better for, for Tapper and Cooper and all the rest of them. Because, oh, now they feel like they're, you know, they're so necessary to the nation and to its future all driven by ego it's not driven by service or sacrifice to country that's just a front that's a fraud it's a lie and the extent of the lie is evidenced by the fact that they would even that anybody would start to say well kind of like how our our men and women in in, in the military defend this country and its values that's like the press no the press doesn't defend our values any more than some guy showing up to a steel mill getting paid hourly wages is defending our country i mean we're, we're all entitled to the same protections of the Constitution, the same ability to share ideas and thoughts. And the individual has been empowered now more than ever to get access to information. We need these phonies in the press. We need the Dan Rathers of the world less than ever before. And that's what they really hate. Their power is threatened. Their ability to construct a narrative that puts them at the center of events in American life, that has been threatened. And they can't handle the notion that They're just a bunch of guys and gals that, like all the rest of us, they've got opinions too. Oh, my. Quick break. We'll be right back. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes out there. Brace yourselves because if you've ever had your credit card stolen, as as I have had several times, it's nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. My friends, I have been put through a scenario with home title lock where I've seen just how easy it is for the bad guys to steal your information and set up a fraudulent loan based on that information all done online it is so easy it's terrifying once you see it done Uh, and that was just a, a dry run right that was just a run through of how it could happen don't let it happen to you don't let someone take your home's equity via a cyber intrusion For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most viable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value for free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Get our buddy Steve in Springfield, Massachusetts, up on the line. Hey, Steve, what's up? Hey, Buck, how you doing? Um, I'm good. I, I, I have fond really... memories of Springfield. I used to take the train up there uh, when I couldn't drive occasionally to get to uh, college in Amherst. Uh, so. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, it really triggered me when you were talking about, um, you know, how they, how the elitists think that we're too stupid. Um, I wanted to throw out a little tidbit that our Constitution in Massachusetts was actually submitted to all the little cities and towns, and they put comments and sent amendments back. So our Constitution is actually the product of all the hillbillies that they despise so much, 
And pretty good for a state was that was the first state to outlaw slavery, huh? Yeah, uh, indeed, sir. Um, I cu- you actually cut off for a second there, but I it sounded Mike was it good? I couldn't hear him for a second. But I, do we like what Steve said? I'm going to pass it to producer Mike. Yes, producer Mike gives me a thumbs up. Sorry about that, Steve. I couldn't hear, but everybody else could. So uh, sounds good to me, my friend. Shield tie. Thank you for calling in. Um, opinion piece up on the hill.com how a senior doj official helped democrat researchers on trump russia case folks uh this is from uh, john solomon it is a bombshell let me give you a a bit of an intro here and then tomorrow we'll be discussing this in the morning on hill.tv slash rising hundreds of pages of previously unreported emails and memos provide the clearest evidence yet that a research firm hired by Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Democratic National Committee to find dirt and defeat Donald Trump uh, worked early and often with the FBI, a Department of Justice official, and the intelligence community during the presidential election of 2016 and the early presidency. Fusion GPS's work and its involvement with several FBI officials have been well reported. But a close review of these new documents shows just how closely Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr who reported to Obama-era Deputy AG Sally Yates, maintained contact with Fusion, and in particular its primary source, former British spy, during, before, and after the election. Oh my, folks. This was uh, this is a lot more than we've been told so far about or working with Fusion GPS. This is oppo, an oppo research firm with a senior DOJ official hanging out Closest closest can be, like peas and carrots. Isn't that a thing? Like peanut butter and jelly. That, that's better. Peas and carrots, no. Peanut butter and jelly, yes. This story, uh, up on the Hill.com now. John Solomon doing the reporting on it, and we will be talking about it tomorrow morning on Hill.tv slash rising. And we'll also talk about the forest fires in California coming up here in just a few moments. So, uh, team, stay with me. I want to pose a very interesting question to all of you listening. But first, I have to make a statement, because it's a question about a statement, or in this case, a tweet. You may be familiar with a left-wing site known as Vox. It is a a gathering place for leftists, for progressives, for extreme beta males. If Pajama Boy was able to set up a website in his image, it would be Vox.com. But I have... A whole bunch of different uh, websites that I that I look at on, on a browser that is devoted entirely to the left on, on my computer so that I can go deep diving into into leftist thought and really understand who they are, what they think and how they approach issues. And I saw this on Vox and, and they tweeted this out as well. It takes black women. This is uh, this is from their official Twitter account. It takes black women in America. An extra eight months to earn what a white man earns in a year. Hashtag Black Women's Equal Pay Day highlights how the job market fails women of color. And and I look at this and I say, hold on a second. Are we comparing? What exactly are we comparing? That's a really, you know, that, that seems like a, oh gosh, you look at that headline. And uh, they're just comparing people that work full time. So they're not comparing people in similar jobs. They're just saying, 
Look at look at black women and look at white men and the disparity in their incomes. Okay, that's an that's an interesting point, I suppose. And and there's a lot of things that one could say about that and should perhaps get into why is there that disparity? Vox is raising it. Here's the question that I started with that I wanted to bring to your attention. One that I have a feeling there will be no uh, there will be no answer to offered by uh, there'll be no answer from the left on this one. They won't tell us why it is that uh, they think this way or are unwilling to think this way. Christina Summers, Christina Hoff Summers, who's a somewhat contrarian academic, responded to this Vox tweet. Asian men are the highest earners. Why no mention? Isn't that an interesting question? Asian men in America right now, on average, earn more, and in fact, Asian families have a higher household income than white families do. So non-white, a non-white group is now doing better economically across, you know, in America, in all 50 states, than whites are. Why is the comparison always made just to white people? And you start to look at this and understand, oh, Hmm. There's something going on here. There's there's a bit of intellectual sloppiness or perhaps intellectual dishonesty in the part of of Vox, which is no surprise, but much of the left as well. They have constructed a narrative for many decades now that the Democratic Party is the party of black Americans and that white oppression is responsible not just for the many of the problems within the black community, but also the Hispanic community and 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 other uh, communities with people of color. But what they never they never really address is why is it that Asian Americans aren't just untainted by this white oppression, or at least minimally, but have in fact excelled beyond the so-called white oppressors economically? When, when do we get to hear an answer to that? When do we get to hear what the Vox.coms of the world offer up as an explanation there. You know, this is where the, that it's not just that identity politics, and yes, that is a good way to describe them, are toxic and in many ways dehumanizing, right? Because it, it, it de-individualizes you, and de-individualization is a step to dehumanization because if you are just seen as a part of a collective, you don't have individual agency. If you don't have individual agency, you don't have culpability, moral or otherwise. You are just a part of a group that is determined by others. And what should happen to that group, what rights you have or don't have, isn't up to any inherent truth. It's whatever the collective decides for you. So identity politics are deeply toxic, but they're also self-refuting. They also fall into incoherence very rapidly. And the left doesn't have an answer for this. They've built such a massive political edifice on this notion of white racism in America and how white racism continues to this day to be a dominant factor in economic life. Well, if white people are just so darn racist and if the reason that some communities of color have not had the success that we would like to see them have is because of that white racism, why are Asian Americans a complete not just outlier in terms of this oppression, but have excelled beyond the, the, the white privilege, white oppressor group. It, it seems very strange, doesn't it? And they don't even offer any answers to this. In fact, what I've seen are people trying to co-opt Asian Americans 
on the left into, hey, don't allow yourself to be tools of conservatives in this process. You know, they hate what's going on at Harvard University where Asians are proving that, yes, there is discrimination, Asian Americans and, and Asians, I think, foreign applicants, too. Uh, they're proving that there is discrimination against them. Some groups get positively discriminated in favor of Asians get discriminated against. What's the basis for that? How is that OK? And then you see stories like uh, what I recently saw about whether I believe it was um, New Hampshire is too white. I think that was in the Washington Post. It's too white. What can we do about it? It seems to me, and that was a real piece, folks. I, I read the whole thing. I just can't remember if it was New Hampshire or Vermont. I think it was, I think it was New Hampshire. It might have been Vermont. I get them confused. But the notion of a state as too white which a major news publication in engaging in that kind of analysis, that feels like it's not much of a, of a jump to whiteness is a problem, that there's something wrong with whiteness, and that we need to come to grips with this affliction known as being white. And the media doesn't, doesn't have any serious answers or any serious analysis for this, really. They just run back to the old tired cliches about you know either diversity or about about you know white oppression of people and we don't ever get any answers but why didn't vox mention asian men in that analysis only white men get it get mentioned i wonder you got to get out and vote you got to get out you see pelosi who by the way again controls danny o'connor whoever the hell that is but you know <laughs> danny o'connor on his resume put stuff that wasn't true okay so he did that you know, you would have thought he was Perry Mason or something. He was like a low-level person that did nothing. Danny O'Connor. That's a beauty. He's another beauty. This is what we're fighting. A vote for Danny Boy and the Democrats is a vote to let criminals and drugs pour into our country and to let MS-13 run wild in our communities. He's not, and when I talk to folks, one thing I love to ask families is I say, what are you worried about? What keeps you up at night? And it's, is my Social Security going to be cut? Is Medicare going to be there for me? So you got the special election in Ohio, folks. We're going to be finding out here uh, shortly who who wins this one. Um, and we have somebody joining right now to talk about what's going on in the 12th Congressional District of Ohio Selena Zito is with us now, author of the fantastic book, The Great Revolt, the populist revolution that is reshaping America. Also a reporter. She has all kinds of stories to tell us from across the country. Miss Selena Zito, thank you for making the time. Thank you for having me. I join you from Zanesville, Ohio, which is part of the seven counties that make up the 12th congressional district. So there we go. She is, in fact, there in in the twelfth for the twelfth special election. It it, it is uh, it is underway right now, August seventh. You know, you got people saying they're gonna they, they want Danny O'Connor. They got this other guy in there. What's going on, Selena? Well, let me say, let's talk about first what the Democrats did right in this election. So I think that that helps you understand what might happen this evening. So the Democrats picked a moderate Democrat whose message was uh, that he would support the president, President Trump, um, on, on, on issues if he felt it was appropriate or benefited the district. Uh, the other thing they did right is they picked someone young. He is not, Daniel Conner is not a bad candidate. Uh, but 
unlike the, the sort of Connor Lamb, Rick Saccone matchup in Pennsylvania 18, um, the, the Republicans did not pick a bad candidate. Um, uh, Troy Balderson is a good, solid candidate. He had this he had the um, um, he has a good message. He he understands the Trump coalition, which is very different than say what the Romney coalition was. So there's more room to support and 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 protect things like Medicare and Social Security. And and, and he talks about he talks about that something that you typically didn't see. Uh, Republicans talk about in the era of the Romney uh, Ryan campaign of 2012. This is a district that has been held by Republicans for over four years, including John Kasich. Um, it is very suburban, uh, with a lot of rural um, uh, suburbs or, or exurbs and some blue-collar areas mixed in. Um, the Democrats and, and, and political scientists and pundits have been saying for a couple of days now that the Democrat is surging. Um, uh, I'm not convinced of that. I think it's going to be a close race, but I think that the Republican prevails. I'm probably the only person that's saying that. Um, but, you know, this is based on the reporting that I've done on the ground. Again, that's anecdotal. It's very, it's not only difficult to measure these races in polls, but it's also difficult to measure them in, in interviews and on the ground because people, you know, not everyone is like jazzed up to show up on a 95 degree day in, in August. Yeah, I got to say, Ohio is, this is probably not the single best time to go visit the great state of Ohio. <laughs> I mean, you're right there dead center. I bet it's, I bet it's warm in that valley. Uh, but I, I would also. Really hot. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. You know, that you have this, this district uh, that is, is 14 percentage points more Republican uh, leaning than the, the rest yeah. of the country. Right. So it's it's but but as you said, they've kind of gone the Connor Lamb route here. Connor Lamb was that guy in Pennsylvania that until you heard yeah. where he stood on the issues, you kind of just looked at him. You heard him talk. You heard his back. And he's like, OK, this guy's probably a Republican. Turns out he was running as a Democrat. Uh, and, and it sounds like they've tried this here as well. And, and I'm, I'm guessing that we're, we're going to be finding out here in short order. Um, who who won this one? But but Selena, if in fact the Democrat here prevails, and I know you're a reporter, so you can't say this, but I will. Heaven forbid. Uh, but if in fact the de- the Democrat here prevails, this will be, I'm sure, uh, pushed to all the rest of us through the national media as a referendum on Trumpism. What do you think of that? And what would be your response to that analysis? Well, I'm always like I always am very skeptical of what we learn from special elections. I, you know, it's not that long ago in 2010 where I covered ten, seven special elections and the Republicans lost every single one of them, and they went on to romp the Democrats by 63 with 63 seats. Um, just you know, a couple months later in November. So I think there's things to pick and choose from a special election, but I don't think it tells us the whole story. I think what we should focus on is the, this is going to sound really crazy, but this is outlined in The Great Revolt. Take a look at the Romney-Clinton suburban voter versus the Obama-Trump Trump supporter. Who has the most energy, and where is it turning up in the suburbs? 
that is the most interesting thing that I will be looking for. Typically, um, in suburban districts that have a good mix of blue collar, they tended to go for Trump. And if, if a suburban area is mostly affluent and they don't have a mix of blue collar, rural and exurbs, um, they tended to go for Clinton. Um, both Franklin County and Delaware County um, are these affluent suburban districts, but they have a generous mix of, of both blue-collar, rural, um, and exurban voters. So that, to me, is the warning bell that the Republican um, might prevail this evening. We're speaking to Selena Zito, who is the— Speaking of Selena Zito, author of The Great Revolt, uh, Inside the Populist Revolution That is Reshaping American Politics. It's a great book, one of the great recent contemporary books on politics. She's out there in Ohio's 12th right now talking to folks, actually doing that, talking to the folks in, in the district. And she's giving us some of her on-the-ground sense of what's, of what's going on here. You know, Selena, just a, a question that, that's been in the back of my mind in recent weeks. You know, the polling shows that... Folks are very concerned. The, the people who are thinking about who to vote for, right, which is a different thing than, than base turnout, the people that are maybe thinking one or the other, the undecideds, uh, independents, health care is a very big issue for them. Haven't been a lot of big health care stories in the news. We, there's not much of a narrative out there right now. From the people you talk to, one, do you come across that as, as an issue that they're talking about? And two, who, you know, who in Ohio or rather what are Ohioans saying right now about how health care would, would affect whether they go for the Democrat or the Republican? Well, see, that's so interesting that you bring that up because it's a very well, first of all, a lot of people aren't talking about it. It's not driving the election in the way that it did in 2010, 2014 and 2016. The other thing is, is that, you know, people that are on the fence aren't aren't as willing to listen to the Democrats' um, uh, argument as you would think they would because they said, look, they messed things up in the first place. I'm not exactly sure I trust them to drive a train, you know, once again, you know, because they were unhappy with Obamacare. So, I, 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 you know, the Democrats think that this is a big thing to run on. I'm not convinced that it is. I don't think they understand how the electorate views how they mishandled health care. Uh, they don't think that the Republicans did a bang-up job, but, you know, in terms of trying to dismantle it, but they, all, they, do, they also don't firmly believe that the Democrats should be in charge of health care because uh, they didn't like what they did when they had it in the first place. So the stench of, of Obamacare yeah. lingers on. Yes, uh, that, that, that <laughs> would does. make sense. I'm sure, I'm sure it does. Well, Selena, uh, thank you so much for joining us from out there in Ohio's 12th. Everybody should check out Selena's book. I have my copy at home on my bookshelf. It is excellent. I have read it, and you will all enjoy it. The Great Revolt Inside the Populist Coalition Reshaping American Politics. Selena, thanks for making the time, and we will talk to you soon. It's election season, so you know we're going to be calling you. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. All right. Team, rolling into a quick one. We'll be back with Hour 3 momentarily. Team Buck, welcome to Hour 3. The Buck Sexton Show is flying by tonight. Uh Thank you so much for all of your thoughts. Appreciate when you write me on Facebook. Don't forget Twitter, at Buck Sex, you want to tell me what's going on. And, of course, our phone lines, which are always a buzzing, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. The worst 
wildfly- uh, wildfire in California history is underway right now. Uh, you've got these catastrophic wildfires ravaging the state of California. Um, you got one blaze that people are saying has has doubled in size in just the last couple of days. And the Ranch Fire and the River Fire, which are in uh, counties going across a few counties in Northern California, are massive. Um, burned 283,000 acres. They've grown 80% since last week. Uh, destroying 75 residences. So this is the single biggest forest fire in the history of California. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of acres coming up on 300,000 acres burned out. Uh, There's clearly a a major issue here. And no surprise, now people are starting to spend some time saying, hold on a minute. What's, What's going on here? What's at work? And the politicians are pointing fingers at each other. No surprise. Uh, Trump, over the weekend, I think in a surprise to to some, uh, wrote on this issue. uh, And he said that that essentially there's a water wastage that's going on here um, and that there's water. I'm trying to find the specific Trump tweet as I'm as I'm talking to you. I'm I'm a multi folks. I'm a multitasker. But he said that, you know, California has some bad ideas about environmentalism and about water usage and they're getting really upset at him right now uh they're getting very angry at trump for going after the state's uh water policies and i gotta tell you that the truth is california does have some uh some really stupid laws and stupid ideas about what to do with its and what's with the environment in general. All right, Trump blamed the fires on quote bad environmental laws which aren't allowing massive amounts of readily available water to be properly utilized. He complained that water needed for firefighting is being quote diverted into the Pacific Ocean. And then you had firing back at him, Adam Schiff. Yeah, that's right, that Schiff, that guy with that stone cold look of a deeply disturbed individual. Um, But Schiff responded to the president. Who wants to guess? What are liberals saying? What are liberals saying is the cause of these forest fires? Anybody want to hazard a guess? That's right. What's causing the fire? Oh, well, here you go. Here's Schiff putting it out for you. In response to President Trump, you've been in office for 18 long months and you still don't have a science advisor. So allow me to help. Environmental protections have nothing to do with wildfires in California. Climate change does. We're not going to let you use fires as an excuse to clear-cut our forests. That's right. Climate change, folks. Climate change. Um, this is a this is an answer for idiots, but it's the answer the Democrats offer up on this and really any other environmental issue. The truth, I would note, which Schiff, Schiff is hoping that people like me won't do uh, our research, and and we'll just skip over this, but based on California's own state environmental agency, on a .gov website that I'm looking at right now, uh, there are and have been in the last 12 months a record number of dead trees in California, 129 million and counting. Uh, And the problem with dead trees, for some of you listening, is that they are obviously much more flammable, but also, uh, you know, they're 
they make it harder to get into areas where they're trying to fight the forest fires. And it's just a disaster. Um, it is it is a total disaster. And you've got, yes, there's some beetles that are infesting them. I and mean, there's a number of things going on here. Uh, but this creates a real hazard to people and to buildings to have all these dead trees. And California hasn't been clearing them out. So there is no question there's been a failure here to clear out this stuff. And it's because they, California is an environmentalist wacko state. And they don't want, as you heard there, shift or read, I read it to you, shift doesn't want to, you know, clearing out the forest. Well, the thing about that is uh, they have a very bad history of forest and general resource management in the state of California. It's pretty terrible. Um, and they don't know what they're doing. And the history says, I mean, Cal- you know, keep in mind, California has these huge wildfires has droughts, has has these issues that are related to environmental management. Other states don't have these issues, folks. Not in the same way. Are we really supposed to think that it's just because California is unlucky? Maybe there's something else going on. The president noted uh, or, or mentioned in his tweet, water being diverted to the Pacific Ocean. I think he's talking about the Delta smelt because whoever Delta it smelted it. The Delta smelt is a tiny fish, a bait fish. And because of conservation efforts or environmentalists uh, wanting to do everything in their power to protect the Delta smelt, water that is used for irrigation has been diverted. And you have this you have terrible water usage policies in part related to protecting this tiny bait fish that nobody really cares about or knows about, except for uh, it is listed as a what a threatened species or an endangered species or which are treated the same way under the law. Uh, so so there are water use issues in California, and there is state-level mismanagement of resources, and now people are losing their homes and, and under real threat from these fires. And think of all the devastation that occurs from this, too. Uh, I mean, these wildfires are unnaturally destructive because of the government's approach, the state government's approach to what's going on in California. And then there's the other issue that you don't hear people talk about, which is, you know what causes most forest fires? People. Isn't it like Smokey the Bear used to say? Uh, what was the line about fires? Why am I forgetting it right now? Thank you. Only you, producer Brandon on the spot, only you can prevent forest fires. Well, that's that's another way of saying only you are starting forest fires, folks. That's right. It is It is human beings who are the ones that are generally responsible for starting forest fires. And it's campfires. It's um, uh, fireworks. It's arson. That's right. Some people just decide to light a fire in the woods to start a huge fire because that that also has has happened. Uh, and and I think that, you know, people don't want to discuss this. I, I also. I think I want to talk a little bit about, uh, well, I won't go into too much detail about it, but seeing like a state, which is a book I've brought up many times before, uh, which is a it's by a very serious uh political theorist, political scientist at Yale University named, uh, last name Scott. And it's a very interesting book because it talks about how this, it, it, it takes an issue that's not very political, but does deal with forests, by the way. That's why I'm thinking about it right now. It's, it's something that all of a sudden you remove yourself from the contemporary politics of it, but uh, scientific forestry in 18th century Prussia. In Seeing Like a State, Scott works us through what, what, what happened with scientific forestry. And here's what happened. 
you had a bunch of different villagers who in Prussia who would go out and they would pick a tree, they'd cut down the tree, and they would use that tree for whatever purposes they needed. Well, the government decided that this was an inefficient way to get lumber and that this wasn't good for the forests and that it would be better if instead of allowing uh, varied natural growth, including undergrowth, if they planted in perfectly symmetrical and evenly spaced rows the most effective lumber-producing tree possible, the Norway spruce. Now, you can see the logic of this, and I'm not faulting the logic because without understanding all the variables, it seems smart, it seems sensible. You take the tree that gives you the best wood, you line them up, and you try to make it as, as mechanized a process for human beings as possible to chop at those trees and to get it get access to them, and, and you are going to do this in a way that you also could count the number of trees, and you would be, it would all be very uh, regimented. Right. They'd try to create order out of the out of the forests. That was the idea in Prussia. And this turned into an unmitigated disaster. Scientific forestry was a terrible idea. You would say, Buck, why is that? Well, because when you don't have biodiversity, when you only have one form of tree, guess what happens if a tree disease comes along or a specific kind of beetle that loves to chomp, 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 eat on those trees? Oh, now you have entire forest dying off. Now you also have the uh, habitats of other animals that are uh, that become diseased. And you have all these trees that die and then they will burn down and there's no undergrowth there to shoot up and replace them. It was a complete and utter disaster. It made it made it a lot easier for plant diseases and forest fires to happen and it got so bad in fact that uh, the soil then became much less rich because the nutrients that come into the soil from the decay of the undergrowth and the naturally occurring trees there. So the soil then was bad. So even when they wanted to try to do other things, now they destroyed the soil. So I mean, this was an, an exercise in central planning gone awry. And who wants to guess whether this was viewed as a cautionary tale or something to replicate around the rest of Europe and, in fact, in some cases, the rest of the world. Oh, that's right. Scientific forestry then became a widespread practice. Anyone want to guess why? Oh, well, because the problems with it in the early phases were it wasn't implemented properly. Oh, okay. Doesn't that sound like something else, you know, that never gets... It's always a disaster, but it's because of the way it was implemented, not because it's faulty. The problem with scientific forestry is the same problem with California's approach to environmentalism, which is a combination of central planning and emotionalism. But the central planning aspect of it has people who don't know what they're doing, who don't understand the ecology and the biodiversity that they're handling in the first place and are pursuing very narrow interests in a very complicated system, and not allowing for improvisation. Not allowing, the state of California does not allow the people that are in charge of this, you know, their, their State Department of, of uh, Natural Resources and the Environment and all these other agencies, whatever they got, whatever they're calling them, uh, they don't make changes based on what's really happening on the ground. They just implement the policy. You know, we don't want to clear, we don't want to clear cut our forests. 
Okay, well, what does that mean in practice? Well, it means that you've created a giant tinderbox and now all the forests are burning down to the ground. Maybe that wasn't the best idea. Well, we don't want to clear, we don't like mean chopping of wood in our forests and climate change is the, is the boogeyman here. So, you know, even with, even with these fires, it is a, a cautionary tale, a lesson in bad environmental management, which is overwhelmingly the history in this country of whatever, whenever we try to manage forests and things like this too much, it does not go very well. Um, and, and also just the unwillingness to face the reality of failed policies. So Trump may not be right on the specifics, but he's right in the general substance. And Adam Schiff is wrong, which is no surprise. A zoo in Colorado Springs will be closed today after a powerful hailstorm killed two birds and injured 14 people on Monday. Look at this. Those are chunks of hail. Some the size of softballs. Is it August in Colorado as well? I believe I believe it is. It is has reached August. Is August. I just can't believe the size of the 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 water, you know, explosions there from the hail. That's violent weather. And you know, I mean, some people don't think that climate change is necessarily Bears hate it, too. Bears hate it, too, Dan's anchor says there. Um, I'm assuming that bears probably don't like being pelted by the hail. I'm also guessing they probably stay out of open spaces when that's going on. Uh, But notice how, once again, that's climate change as well. They think that we're the crazy ones for not turning around and blaming climate change for everything. In fact... There's a piece up on CNN right now. Donald Trump will blame anything but climate change for the California wildfires. Meanwhile, the left will only blame climate change for the Cal. I just walked you through. There's tremendous environmental mismanagement in California and anybody who spent any time there. Uh, Think about it this way. Is there any part of the California state government that works efficiently and well? Maybe the tax collectors. Anybody else in California that is doing a really great job at the state government level? Can they manage their water resources? Can't manage their traffic congestion, spending all this money and time on high speed rail that's never going to go, that's never going to do what they want it to do. Uh, this is just a pipe dream for, for liberals on the West Coast. So it would be an aberration. It would be completely against the norm to have a situation where California government officials were doing a fantastic job. But this is the, uh, this is the mirror imaging that you see here. It's, oh my gosh. You know, it, 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 it's Trump's fault because he won't call it climate change. And by the, by the way, isn't that just completely deferring any responsibility for it? Trump can't. If the wildfire today is caused by climate change, we're going to make the wildfires stop in 100 years. If we put massive uh, drag on our economy by having, you know, what, uh, a, a carbon tax or some other idiotic plan. And now they really will say, oh, look, there was a lot of hail in some place. It must be climate change. You know, this is this is a conspiracy level idiocy, but they, they really believe it. Uh, it can't be because people are doing a bad job. Another place, by the way, we're told it can't be because people are doing a bad job. Chicago with the uh, the gun violence that's going on there. Uh, that can't be because the Democrats have been controlling that city for a very long time. Right. That can't be because Rahm Emanuel and his cronies and enablers uh, are unwilling to take the necessary steps to make happen in Chicago what has happened in so many other city, major U.S. cities where the crime rate has dropped like a rock in a river, which is a good thing for everyone involved, right? Here's what Rahm Emanuel had to say about the recent rash of gun violence. Play seven. You can talk about the weather, but the weather didn't pull the trigger. And you can talk about jobs and they count, 
But in parts of the city where there aren't jobs, people did not pull a trigger. There are values. There are too many guns on the street. Too many people with criminal records on the street. And there is a shortage of values about what is right, what is wrong, what is acceptable, what is condoned, and what is condemned. We as a city, in every corner, have an accountability and a responsibility. If you know who did this, be a, na- be a neighbor. Speak up. You know, maybe Rahm Emanuel's onto something here with his shortage of values comment. The government has tried all kinds of things there and failed. Now, governments in other places in the country uh, and other cities, as I've noted, have been successful. But, you know, when he talks about a shortage of values, I can only think of one thing. A shortage of values. What about a shortage of fathers? Is that something that we are allowed to discuss? What about the breakdown in family unity and, and most notably the absence of fathers in over 70% of, based on the statistics, of uh, minority homes in some communities? Do we think that might have some role to play in whether young men in poor areas uh, act out, act in violence, and violence toward each other and violence toward women? Shortage of values, is that a, is that a code word for shortage of fathers? I just wish he would say that it was a shortage of fathers that we need to discuss and what that means for society, but that would require actual political courage, and I don't think Rahm Emanuel's got any of that. We're going to show up in a huge way, in a way that we haven't ever seen before in the United States. I believe that Trump is loathed in America, that people are embarrassed and ashamed of who he is, and that come election day, we're going to stand up at the polls and let him know. People were paid since he went down on the escalator. He pays people to show up at right, those Right, but rallies. I don't that know that fact. that's... You can look at all the requests for extras to come and cheer and with signs for him. You can find those tangible pieces of evidence. Those are not real rallies. This is not real. Well, Rosie O'Donnell's political analysis is apparently real. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing... That we, we are in this era now where y- you are able to influence the conversation about issues, no matter how dumb you may be or how uh, completely deranged you are on that particular issue. As long as you have enough social media followers, as long as you know your, your PR people can get you on certain kinds of shows to talk about it. You know, there's really no there's no uh, intelligence barriers to entry anymore. You, you just can get. Anybody doing anything. And look, sometimes celebrities who aren't known for being policy wonks engage in behavior that is just objectively good, right? I mean, Kim Kardashian trying to get clemency for a woman who served 20 years in prison and trying to hold her up as an example of of reform in from within prison. I think that's a good thing, or at least she's trying to do a good thing. You can disagree with the policy. Uh, but this, you know, the, the celebrities, the Madonnas and the Rosie O'Donnells, their hatred of Trump... One thing that I find fascinating about this is that they they never seem to understand that they're helping Trump by doing this, that by having the Rosie O'Donnell's and the uh, and the Madonna's and the what's that guy's name? Producer Mike from uh, oh Tim Robbins, right? He's the guy from Shawshank. Uh, You know, all these different actors that you know of that are really politically involved and that think that we all need to listen to them blather on about stuff. They're helping people like Trump. 
I, I don't get. I don't give a crap what any of these actors think about anything. Uh, and you know, the if they were speaking persuasively or in in a in a worthwhile fashion, I'll listen to anybody. Right, but just because you were good at doing, you know, fart jokes in the 90s or something, it, it doesn't mean that I should have to listen to your thoughts now on the Constitution. That, that's what they don't understand. And, you know, we're in this this era now where because everyone, your public profile can now be used for attention on any issue. You know, it used to be if you were a, an editorial columnist for The New York Times, that's how you got your attention. Right. If you were an actor, you did movies, maybe you could do some interviews. But now because of social media, because of Twitter and these things, uh, there's such an outsized impact on the conversation from it. Sometimes can be good, right? Trump uses Twitter to fight back against the fake news, which is amazing. But it also means that you get the Rosie O'Donnells of the world who weigh in and, and tell you things that you don't need to hear, you don't want to hear. This is part of the uh, Kremlin annex protest that's going on right near where I am uh, in the White House, here in the swamp. You got a bunch of Broadway actors. I probably should have started by telling you about this. A bunch of Broadway actors who I'm just putting this out. I was talking to a friend recently. I've been on I've been on a couple of dates with Broadway people in my day, you know, a couple of ladies that work at Broadway and they um how do I put this? So actresses have a reputation for being a little volatile. Broadway uh actresses are in a category unto themselves. Just saying. I don't know. I can't speak to the actors. They may be even crazier. But I've had some interactions with Broadway actresses, and they were short-lived. I can tell you that. And they didn't even know my politics. Although I guess these days you can just Google them. Everyone Googles everybody now before they go on a date. But they're they're over at the White House. They're singing, uh, and they're talking about Kremlin Attic. Because they're saying the White House is is part of the Kremlin, and ha-ha, so clever. Uh, but Rosie... Continues on with Bro Cuomo. Hey, Rosie, do you even lift? Uh, and this is what he said. Play eight. You believe it was rigged. I don't believe it was efforts. And if you listen to all of our mainstream intelligence people, they believe it too. Did they come in there and make Trump win when every single exit poll and every person in America knew for sure that Hillary Clinton was going to win? Do you think that there was anything to do with Russia or just a real big swirl for Donald Trump in these specific areas with the same exact amount of votes that were needed? I don't know. It looks very hinky to me. I do appreciate her usage of the word hinky because it reminds me of Tommy Lee Jones using the word hinky in the movie uh, The Fugitive. Hinky. It's actually not Tommy Lee Jones. It's one of his lieutenants, now that I remember. And I think Tommy Lee Jones makes fun of him for using the word. I'm with the lieutenant on this one. You know, Hinky. It's a fun word. It's up there with balderdash and cockamamie. Uh, but all the rest of what she said was terrible and wrong. And you, you, it's good, though, that, to have her come out and say it because here's somebody. Look, she's getting interviews on CNN. Why is Rosie O'Donnell getting interviews on CNN? Because she's a now semi-retired former comedian. I mean, she was really a comedian. She wasn't, uh, didn't have much of a, an acting career that I can remember, at least. She was really a, a stand-up comedian and a, and a TV talk show host. Not on politics, but on on other things. Brandon, do you remember the, Ro- wasn't the Rosie show, like a daytime show back in the, it was like Ellen, right? Very popular. That's where she made all of her money. She, yeah, League of Their Own. Yeah, whatever. I know. Madonna was in that, too, by the way. Side note. Fun little fact. Buck's got all the fun facts today. All right, we got roll call here in just a moment, team, so uh, stay with me. The show ain't over yet, folks. 
keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to be a part of Roll Call, which I certainly hope you do, give me your thoughts on the show, on the podcast, on life, whatever you've got in mind. I want to hear it as long as it's, as long as it's nice. We don't like mean things in the Roll Call, only nice things. Crit- criticism is acceptable, but no all caps curse words. All right, we got uh, Devin, who starts us off here with... Just a thought: If once a week you clip a segment that you'd like to be know, uh, you'd like to be known for saying that week, and release it on Facebook, it would make it easier for the team to share your stuff to help build the team. You could even call it the buckshot, like you used to have. Uh, well, that's from Devin, producer Mike. Can you hear me right now? Because I think that's a good idea. Actually, we probably we probably should do that. Do some promo work. Do some things there. That would be uh, fantastic. I, I like that idea. So, Devin. I, I give you a high five for the very helpful and very uh, astute suggestion. Brandon, next up, count me in on the Buck Sexton show, um, on the blockchain convo, rather. Whoops, no, that was an old one. Here's a new one. Hey, Buck, I was wondering if it was possible to post just the audio of your morning show rising as a podcast. I'm an avid podcast listener, but just don't have the time to sit down and watch the program I was wondering if it wasn't too much trouble. Thank you. Love the show. Brandon, hey, we got somebody who likes rising. All right. Team Buck, somebody who likes rising. <laughs> Usually you guys are like, Buck, why do you not destroy the libs? Why are you not driving the libs from their villages and burning down their steeples once the libs have vacated said villages? Um, Because that's not what I'm supposed to do on the show, but I appreciate that you guys know I could do that. Guys are like, Buck, I thought you were the lib destructor. Sometimes. Not always. Depends on, depends on the day. and Depends on the, the platform. Um, but I'm glad you like it, Brandon. And we are thinking about launching a rising podcast. I don't have much more detail on it than that, but it was a discussion that just happened in the last week or so. So I do think that that's something that we very well might get to. Uh, and thank you so much for that. And by the way, I hope you're listening, Brandon Shields. Hi, a little extra show we do every week. Hope you're listening to that one. Going to have a great one this week. Going to announce who will be on it tomorrow. If you have not been able to listen to the past, by the way, those are evergreen. So don't think if you missed it, it's not worth going back. My conversation last week with Rahim Kassam, uh, formerly a, an advisor to Nigel Farage, just a really interesting, really brilliant, fun guy. Uh, that that I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, I think you'll enjoy that conversation. You can listen to it on iTunes. It's under the uh, the Freedom Hut moniker in uh, iTunes under the Buck Sexton Show. I think we've made this not as easy to find for some folks. I think that it gets lost in the shuffle. So we may be busting that out into a separate podcast. Also, this month there will be a Shields High. Just because I love you all so much, we don't even I don't even know how the Shields High is going to go, but. Every time I do one of those Shields High episodes, it's it's always okay. Did, did, did enough folks like this? And then I want to do another one. So if enough folks like the first one, hopefully I'll get to four or five, and then I'll probably take another pause because it takes a lot out of me. But uh, Brandon, thank you very much for your thoughts. Shields High to you. Uh, Rachel. Hey, Rachel. Shields High. There we go. I was wondering where CNN gets all their money. 
uh, to pay thousands of dollars to their anchors. Actually, Rachel, it's, it's millions of dollars. If their audience is dwindling, is there any chance they could go bankrupt? Will there ever be an end to the enemy of truth? Thank you for doing a great job, Rachel. Uh, Rachel, I, I cannot tell a lie. Uh, CNN's doing just fine. And the reason CNN's doing fine is that despite the dwindling U.S.-based uh, audience for CNN's brand of left-wing cable news, they have other properties that do very well. I think CNN.com might be the most trafficked news website in the world. And CNN International, which is really the kind of airport news channel of much of the world, and it's in a lot of countries that don't have a sophisticated cable news network of their own. CNN International is all over the world. That makes a lot of money. So there are a lot of ways that that business brings in revenue, despite the fact that it uh, doesn't have, you know, it has less than a million people. Fox has, has 3 million people. CNN has less than a million people in primetime watching uh, on most nights. And the other thing, too, is that sponsors uh, tend to favor elite liberal uh, elite liberal POV with things, including CNN. So CNN will get the very uh, high-end car company sponsors and things like that, even though they have a smaller audience than, say, a, a Fox. So it's considered still a prestige brand, which is why they're so upset about people challenging that prestige. So I wish I could tell you that uh, there's going to be a change over there. I, CNN may go back to being more neutral. Remember, Tucker Carlson was a host at Crossfire. I have to point this people to uh, point this out to people sometimes. They said, hey, Buck, how could you have ever worked at CNN? I'd say, Glenn Beck worked at CNN. Tucker Carlson worked at CNN. I mean, there have been times when CNN was, now Glenn worked at HLN, which is the sister channel to CNN, but it's owned by CNN. It's run by CNN. Um, you know, there was a time when, there have been times, I should say, when you could go to CNN for a a conversation that was at least interesting. Now it's really part of the left-wing echo chamber. It's a, a political monoculture uh, over there of anti-Trumpism and, and media elitism. And it's just, it's snide, it's nasty, it's condescending, and I, I have no respect for it. Uh, that may change. You know, I may, I'm sitting here now and telling you that, you know, if CNN, if the uh, the leadership changes there, if they change the way that they're approaching the news, if they go back to a more, uh, a closer to neutral, I don't believe there's such a thing as neutral, but closer to neutral model, right? Uh, just a less offensively left-wing uh, editorial bent. Uh, you know, I would be willing to go back and, and do some things at CNN, but for right now, it's crazy town over there. It's just crazy town. Uh, Sterling writes, Hey, Buck, you know the media channel and Facebook page simply titled RT, Lots of left-wing content, lots of left-wing support. I wonder how many of those liberals know they're supporting Russian meddling in U.S. politics by liking and sharing RT content. You know, Sterling, I've been saying this all along. RT has been hiding in plain sight, was for many, many years, a Kremlin-backed cable news, English-language propaganda channel that hired some very... uh attractive newscasters to talk to you in in english uh, you know native native english speakers to be talking to you but doing the kremlin's bidding and there were some uh, i remember one in particular had a very kind of prominent exit right she quit essentially on air she's like this is just crap i can't work here anymore and she got out of there um but yeah that that was going on it this this all folks they've this is all so there's so much deja vu here isn't there you know we had uh Rosie O'Donnell interview on on the Hill. I didn't get a chance to interview her because I had to do this radio show yesterday. One of my colleagues, Jamal, interviewed her. 
And and I, I give him credit for, for pushing this one question to her that I thought was really important, which is, you know, Rosie O'Donnell, you'd say, Buck, who cares? Well, people do care. I mean, you, we shouldn't care. You and I don't care. But there are Americans who care what Rosie O'Donnell thinks of anything, which is, I think, shocking. Um, but she also wanted, she wants Trump to be impeached. And you might say, okay, Buck, well, she's not the only one. Yeah, but she also wanted Bush to be impeached. Are we seeing a pattern here, folks? What is more likely that, and she's not the only one, that leftists who want both of the most recent Republican presidents to be impeached are irrational crybabies about not getting their way, or that both of those presidents really deserved to be impeached on the merits? What's more likely? Hmm. It's also like, well, what's more likely, that the Republicans stole the election in 2000 and stole the election in 2016, uh, or that Democrats just lost and they can't handle losing? with any grace or dignity whatsoever. I think you all know the answers to that. Greg writes, Buck, love the show. Last Friday, you mentioned that you neglect your official email because of the hassle of switching accounts. It's pretty simple to set up the official account automatically to forward all incoming mail. On the on a personal side, you can have official emails labeled, dropped into their own folder. Keep up the great work, Greg. Greg, you are correct. My IT skills probably need a little bit of a of a refresher. Probably need to up the IT game just a little bit. Just a wee bit, a smidgen. Not a smidgen of corruption. Uh, so, yeah, you're right, and I'll keep I'll keep a an eye out for that. Uh, all right, here's a good one to, to close up shop with for tonight. Harley writes, Damn, Buck, a Dune reference in tonight's show. Amazing. Shields high. Well, thank you, Harley. It was indeed a Dune reference. Very profound line. Uh, I know it's in a sci-fi novel, but it is uh, something that I think people should all be aware of, right? When when I when I am weaker than you, I ask for freedom because it is according to your principles. When I am stronger than you, I demand obedience because it is according to my principles. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a a pretty good summary of modern liberals of modern progressivism on the First Amendment on on every amendment on everything, right? I mean, on, on whatever it is that they want, they. Uh, when they're in a position of weakness, they will appeal to our better angels and appeal to our principles. And, and when they're in a position of strength, they're like, yeah, so much for principles. That was fun while it lasted. That's going to be it for today. Like I said, please do check out uh, last week's Freedom Hot podcast. Really appreciate when those numbers go up. Share it with a friend if you can. Tell somebody about it. Tell them about this show, folks. We have lots more exciting stuff coming up in the weeks and months ahead. I can assure you of that. Uh, please do enjoy the rest of your evening or your morning whenever you're listening to the show. Uh, until next time, Shields High. Let me tell you, I had a colleague come up to me today in D.C., and he said, hey, Buck, can you get me more of that coffee that you put out in the break room with the rifles on it? And I said, oh, I'm sorry, my man. You mean black rifle coffee? As a matter of fact, I can. I know a guy, you could say, because I'm a black rifle coffee drinker. I drink it every day. I get it delivered to my home and pretty soon I'm going to think uh, I think I'm going to start getting it delivered to the office as well for my colleagues, because even those among the uh, the Hill staff who don't necessarily share my politics, they share my love of delicious coffee and Black Rifle Coffee checks that box as well as being all about patriotism and America. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck for 15% off, folks. Don't drink that commie coffee swill get the good stuff black rifle coffee step into the freedom or die revolution blackriflecoffee.com slash buck